Tonight we're going to look at Jonah chapter 1. As Becky mentioned, it's on pages 12 and 13 in your handout. Now as we begin, I, I, I want to let you in on something. You know, over the years, I have become more discerning about the stuff that I hold on to. You know, we all tend to hold on to notes and things like that. I've become more discerning. But there's something that I have with me tonight that has made the cut year after year. It's this little piece of paper. Let me explain. You see, many years ago, Shannon and I were, were in the midst of, of family life. Our days were full. We had four kids under the age of eight. So things were busy. And then, and then one afternoon, I found a note from our seven-year-old on the kitchen counter. Let me read it to you. Dear Mom and Dad, I'm running away from home. I don't like homework very much. I will miss you. By the way, if you want to look for me, I'm at ShopRite and I'll be near the soda machines. <laughs> well, I soon found our, our seven-year-old and he was uh, looking for coins under all the machines and so I bought him a soda and we sat on the curb and we had a good talk. You know, tonight I, I wanna start out by talking to you about, about running away. You see, looking back at my own childhood, I never actually ran away from home, but I ran away in my home all the time. Maybe, maybe you did as well. See, in my house growing up, when, when voices and tempers started to raise, uh, I would sneak downstairs to my room, it was in the basement, and there in a corner, I, I would wedge myself between my desk and the wall, and I would just read a book. And I would run away to a world inside of a book. And I would stay there until I had to face real life again. In fact, I have one of my favorite books with me. It's The Hardy Boys, The Secret of the Old Mill. And I would go into the world of The Hardy Boys, and everything else would fade. Yeah, I want to suggest something to you tonight that I think is true. Running away isn't just something that, that kids do. It's actually something that we all do, probably more often than we would care to admit. See, if you're like me, when, when times get bad, you know what you and I do? We don't run away to a soda machine, probably, or the corner of a room with a book, maybe. But I want to ask you tonight as we start, uh, what is your soda machine? You know, you know, where is your corner? For some of you, it may be working out at the fitness center or just going for a long run. Others of you, maybe you run away by, by immersing yourself into academics or, or social media. Some of you, you, you run away to an online world of gaming or maybe sexual fantasy or maybe just listen to music or, or you binge on movies that transport you to another life. Some of you, maybe you eat or drink to run away. Some of you, maybe you actually just run away uh, to, to people or, or to relationships. In other words, you try to surround yourself with others to convince you that you're just loved and, and maybe you're alive. 
Others, maybe you run away to hard work, even, even the work of the Christian life. In other words, success and responsibility are sort of, sort of your, your soda machines. Friends, I, I think we're all tempted to run away. And I think the reasons why we do are many, and, and sadly, they're, they're often tragic. So maybe you're here tonight, and, and in your life, you felt like there were no other options. Maybe there was abuse in your life, physical abuse or emotional or verbal abuse. And, you know, if that's true, I'm so very sorry. For you, maybe you, you felt crushed by the, the pressures of life or the expectations of others, and you just often felt just so overwhelmed, and you just couldn't wait to leave. Maybe some of you, you're just fleeing the consequences of bad decisions that you've made. Perhaps you often have this nagging feeling that you're just not good enough. Or you're just not loved enough. Or the world just isn't working out the way that you thought it would. Friends, if you can connect with anything that, that I've said so far, I have very good news for you. And it's this. God understands runaways. And what's even more amazing than that is that God is drawn to runaways. In fact, the Bible has one whole book dedicated to the story of a runaway. I bet you can guess which one it is. It's the story of Jonah. And what we're going to see this weekend is the story of Jonah introduces us to a level of running away that maybe you have never considered before. And that is running away from God. You know, believe it or not, there are a number of ways to run away from God. What we'll see tonight, Jonah's favorite option, maybe you picked it up from the dramatic retelling, is running away from God through outright disobedience. Another way to run from God is just wallowing in self-pity and anger. That, I think, was actually Jonah's second favorite strategy. For some, running away from God just means inaction. In other words, the best response, no response at all. For others, running away from God means often pretending that, that you just don't hear him or, or that you're just confused, you just don't understand what he's saying. For many, running away from God means keeping up appearances. You know, Jesus once accused many in the crowd of honoring him with their lips but having their heart far, far from him. Now, as we start our weekend together, I want to venture a guess about some, maybe many of us here tonight. And it's this. Even though you're at a Christian conference, could it be that you're actually on the run? At least on the inside. Maybe you're here this weekend and, and you say you love God, but you actually spend 
very little time with him, and you're more annoyed with him than in love with him. Uh, maybe your, your Christian life is, in a lot of ways, just, just simply a show for other people, just to keep up appearances and keep those Christian friends and the fellowship happy with you, or at least off your back. Maybe you obey on the outside, at least when others are watching, but, but inside you're, you're really very far from God. Your, your life is one of indulging secret sins or, or living a hidden life. And maybe, could it be that you're here this weekend and you're not a Christian at all? You've been on the run for a while and haven't really figured it out until recently. You know, there's a lot of reasons to run from God. Could it be that you're angry at him or maybe you're disappointed with his plan? That's, I think, what was going on with Jonah. We'll study it in a minute. Maybe as you look at God, you blame him for this pandemic and how it is seen to impact everything in your life. You know, all your plans for ending high school and going to college have felt wrecked just by online classes and social distancing and mask mandates. Everyone said that these would be the best years of your life. But maybe tonight you're like, they have been the hardest and the saddest and the loneliest years. And God, you did this. Maybe you've tried a relationship with God, but, you know, honestly, it just always seems so very quiet on his end. You're doing all the work. Maybe you look around and you're just angry at the world. You wonder, like, where's justice? Where, where is unity? What does the future hold? As you look around, you're, you're tempted to feel fearful and hopeless, and you wonder, God, why don't you do something about this? If you are running away from God, as we start our weekend together, I want you to know two things as we start. And it's this, the God that you're running away from brought you here this weekend. I know it may be the fellowship did or your driver, they were the obvious ones, but God brought you here. And the second thing is this, the book of Jonah is for you. It's for you. In fact, even if you aren't currently running, but you know you have in the past and you just might be tempted to in the future, the book of Jonah is for you. For one reason. And it's captured by the quote at the top of your outline. Look at that quote by H.B. Charles. I love this. The Lord has more ways of chasing us than we have of evading him. Isn't that great? That's the God that we serve. Isn't it amazing? God responds to runaways by going after them. The relentless grace of God is shown not simply that he endures runaways or that he just waits for them to come crawling back, but that he pursues them again and again and again. And what we're going to see tonight and this weekend is the price that he pays to bring runaways back in is infinitely more than that can of soda that I bought for my son years ago. That's the point of Jonah. 
that God relentlessly pursues runaways. So as we start tonight, please don't run away tonight, right now, or this weekend. It's going to be easy to lose yourself in a weekend away from campus or just get lost in the busyness of this conference. Don't do it. May I ask you to do something as we start, as much as you can, settle in. Just move toward God. Listen to his word. Draw near to God, and he promises that he will draw near to you. I want to pray and then read our passage, but I just want to spend just a couple of moments in silence. It's been a busy day, hasn't it? And you guys have been in cars and you're unpacking and stuff like that. We've been singing. Let's just settle. Moment of silence. Gather your thoughts. Even just pray to the Lord now. And then I'll lead us in prayer and I'll read our passage. Let's be silent for a moment. God, you brought us here tonight from many different places and probably for many different reasons. But we ask that you would give us the grace to draw near to you, and that you would be faithful to your promise to draw near to us. Thank you, Father, for, for the story of this runaway, that you love runaways so much that you have put in your word a story that so many of us, even at this moment, are starting to identify with in a whole new way. So open your word to us, Father. We long to know you more. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let me read the passage for us. It's Jonah, chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, set the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each, each cried out to his God, and, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps a God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots so we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Well, then the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what, what shall we do to you? The sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. 
and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. The sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. If you notice on your outline, three points are just going to frame our time together tonight. We're going to talk about the run and the hide, the seek and the find, and the sun and the storm. So let's start. First, the run and the hide. Uh, Notice what the first first point is. It's go. The book of Jonah starts out very simply. You probably notice that. God commands Jonah, his prophet, to go on a mission. It's right there in verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it. Their evil has come up before me. Now, before we get a little bit more into it, I just have to give you a bit of history, and it'll flesh out the story a bit more. Jonah had served as a prophet before this. And right on your outline, there's a passage from 2 Kings, and it's an insight into what happened earlier in his life when he served as a prophet. Let me read it. It says, Jeroboam, son of Joash, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, there was none to help Israel. Now, there are a lot of words there. Let me, let me boil it down for you. In that situation in 2 Kings, Jonah had brought a message to the Lord, from the Lord, to Israel's wicked king, Jeroboam. And back then, it was a message of grace. That in spite of Jeroboam's evil, God would do two things. He would restore the borders of his kingdom, and he would bring peace to the land. That was Jonah's first assignment. Here's his second one. Now the Lord enlists Jonah for another task. Except notice the difference. Jonah is not called to go to a wicked king Now he's being called to go to a wicked city. And he's not called to go to his fellow countrymen, but now for the first time he is being called to go to their sworn enemies. Now what you have to understand is he's called to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the vast Assyrian Empire. And the Ninevites were Israel's most ruthless enemies enemies. And friends, make no mistake, the Ninevites were unbelievably brutal. 
They, they, in history, were renowned for their cruelty toward their captives. In fact, they would often skin them alive and use the shavings from these captives' bodies as wallpaper in the palaces. And then they would cut off the lips of their prized captives and sever their forearms so that they would crawl around and sound like dogs in the presence of the Ninevites. And now God is calling Jonah to go to them. But notice something. God is not calling Jonah to go to the Ninevites to extend grace, but notice what it says, call out against it. So that's the mission. God says to Jonah, go. What's Jonah's response? <laughs> it's your next point. No. No. In fact, I think the word no gives Jonah much too much credit. Why? Because Jonah didn't even answer God. Did you notice that? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, but no word from Jonah ever came to the Lord. Jonah simply left. He fled. Right there in verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Now I want you to notice the contrast. Look at this. In verse 2, God says to Jonah, arise, get up. But instead, what does it say? Jonah went down to Joppa. In fact, I have a map for you. If we can put it up on the screen there. Look at that map. <laughs> God said to go east. So Jonah says, I'm going west. God says to get up. And Jonah says, well, I'm going down. God said, go. And Jonah said, no. In fact, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Jesus Storybook Bible has a wonderful picture depicting this. Look at that. <laughs> you see that? <laughs> in fact, if you were to read the account in the Jesus Storybook Bible, it's, it's phenomenal. Jonah goes up to the ticket booth and says this, one ticket to not Nineveh, please. <laughs> now, I want you to notice what was driving Jonah. The text is clear. Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He wasn't fleeing Nineveh or the call to be a prophet. Jonah was on the run from God. So, so friends, what do we learn as we begin this story? I think it's this. Believe it or not, it is incredibly easy to run away from God. One moment, Jonah is a faithful prophet, and the very next moment, he is on the run from God. And friends, what was true in Jonah's life can be true in our life as well. And friends, just like with Jonah, it often happens wordlessly. We just simply leave. No note. No appeal. We're just gone. Now, the story of Jonah, I think, starts pretty dramatically with a, with a run and hide. But then it moves quickly to our second point. 
And here's our second point. You see it there? The seek and find. That's going to take us almost all the way through, the seek and find. Now, I've got to ask you something at this stage of the story. Here, here's a question. If you were God at this point, how would you have responded to Jonah? In other words, you gave him a clear command, and he just as clearly refuses. He doesn't make an appeal. He doesn't try to understand. He gives no reason, at least not yet. What would you have done? Since I have the mic, I'll tell you what I would have done. If I were God, Jonah would be the shortest book in the Bible. Because at just this point, the book of Jonah would end. Because verse 4 would read, and the Lord destroyed Jonah. Next. And that's why, if I were God, Jonah would be the easiest book in the entire Bible to memorize. Because it would only be four verses. But friends, our God is a God of unbelievably relentless grace. His grace extends even to a stubborn, disobedient prophet. And, and see, here's the drama of this book. Just when you think that maybe this book is about God rescuing or maybe destroying Nineveh, you start to realize, oh, it's actually all about God rescuing and not destroying Jonah. Which is why, you'll see it as we keep going in the book, the rescue of the city of Nineveh takes five verses. But the rescue of Jonah? <laughs> my goodness, it's the entire book. And by the end, we're still not sure where Jonah is at with God. And that's why throughout the rest of the book, God is pursuing Jonah. Jonah is running and hiding, but God is seeking and finding. How does he do it? Well, there's at least four ways in this chapter. First, there's the storm. Look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Isn't that amazing? What does God do? He hurls a storm. Now, that word hurled is used in other parts of the Old Testament, most often of someone hurling a weapon. But as we'll see, this storm wasn't hurled to destroy Jonah, but to save him. Now, notice the details. Notice that the storm was so intense that even these seasoned sailors were utterly terrified so much so that the Lord hurled a storm, but these guys, they began hurling too. They hurl all the cargo, their source of livelihood, and, and in desperation, they cried out to their gods. And did you notice what Jonah was doing? Look at the end of verse 5. Jonah. Oh, there he is. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Friends, this guy's still on the run. And, and the way that verse 5 is written, I think, suggests that it's when the storm hits that Jonah goes even lower. All right, I'm going to bed now. I'm going to bed. Did you notice the repetition of the word down in verse 5? 
Jonah is completely disengaged. God is hurling, the sailors are hurling, but Jonah is fast asleep. So what happens next? God seeks Jonah by sending people into his life to stir him to action. And that's your second point there, a, a rebuke. So first, first, a captain finds Jonah and rebukes him. Look at verse 6. So the captain came and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Isn't that amazing? For this captain, only one word describes Jonah. Sleeper. Now, did you notice Jonah's response to the captain? Yeah, I didn't either. He, he does nothing. And next, God pursues and seeks Jonah through the appeal of the crew. That's your next point, an appeal. Look at verses 7, 7 to 10. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots, so we may know on whose account this evil has come. So they cast lots, a lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, here's the interview, right? Tell us on whose account the evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? Where's your country? What people are you? Wow. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid. Did you notice the irony in Jonah's response in verse 9? First of all, notice that these are the first words that Jonah has spoken in the entire book. And look at what he says. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. How ironic. Jonah identifies with God. He claims to fear God. He claims to know the scope of God's power, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He even claims, I fear the Lord. Well, I'm sorry, Jonah. You have a very, very strange way of showing it. Now, I want you to notice, and I think you picked up on this, it was at that point that the sailors moved from being afraid. Remember, they were afraid in verse 5, and now they were exceedingly afraid. They suddenly realized that this guy is playing with divine fire, and they are in a boat with him. And we know that Jonah must have verbalized what was going on, for now even the sailors knew. Look at the end of verse 10. The men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. That's right, the, the one I fear, the God who made everything and everywhere. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, I'm running away from him. And everything comes to a head in verses 11 to 12 as God pursues Jonah even into the stormy sea. And that's that last point there, a hurl, a lot of hurling here. Look at verses 11 and 12. They said, and what should we do to you? The sea may quiet down for us. The sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said, well, just pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Friends, notice that there's no repentance on Jonah's part. He's not turning to the Lord. Jonah is not seeking forgiveness or mercy. He just wants it to be done. He's just done. 
And at this point, Jonah remains a runaway. So he says, just pick me up and toss me into the sea. And notice that his plan brings him no closer to the Lord, but actually gets him out of obeying the Lord. And so, with a lot of hesitation, after appealing to the Lord, the men hurled one more time. And this time they hurled Jonah. But notice still the Lord wasn't done with Jonah. He's relentless, a God who hurled the storm on the sea. He now appoints this great fish to swallow Jonah. Look at how it ends, verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that becomes the dramatic setting for chapter 2. And we're going to look at that tomorrow morning. Wow, what a story. What do we learn? I think a couple things. First, this, is, this, friends, is simple, but it is unbelievably profound, and it's this. God ruthlessly and relentlessly pursues runaways. And he uses anything and everything at his disposal, which, because he's God, is anything and everything. Notice, first, first God sent a storm to rescue Jonah. That great wind wasn't hurled to destroy him, but to awaken him, to bring him back. You know, in the same way, do you realize that God sends storms into your life as well? To rescue you and to bring you back? Are you going through a storm right now? Did one happen and you ran away from God? Could it be that God might use his word tonight to help you understand that storm was meant to awaken you and to rescue you, not to punish you? Notice that God sent people then to Jonah, and the most unlikely people, a group of pagan sailors who showed an amazing sensitivity to the God of the universe. Did you notice the irony at the, at the end of chapter 1? Jonah is far from the Lord, while these pagan sailors are offering a sacrifice to the Lord. Do you realize that in the same way, perhaps God has sent people into your life to bring you back? Maybe it's your roommate or or your disciple maker staff, or a friend in the Christian fellowship. Maybe it's your pastor. Maybe it's even your parents. Friends, maybe you felt nagged about coming to, to fall conference. Why are these people just bothering me so much? Could it be that all those pleas and reminders from others were really from God? And then, and then God gives Jonah up to his desires. He, he wanted to be hurled overboard, and so he was, but God wasn't done with him yet. You know, in the same way, maybe some of you here tonight feel like God is just done with you, or you just want to be done with God. You got hurled into the world of your choices, and now you just feel far from him. Could it be that there is a rescue plan already underway for you. Maybe it's this conference. Maybe, maybe it's the fellowship on campus. Maybe it's this evening. Friends, God 
rearranges lives and he rearranges creation in his relentless pursuit of runaways. He sends storms, he sends people, he even appoints a fish. But I tell you, here's a spoiler alert. We're not sure any of that actually worked with Jonah. I don't know if you caught it, but the book of Jonah ends on a cliffhanger. As you heard tonight in our reading, and we're going to see on Sunday morning, that the book of Jonah ends with this looming question that remains unanswered. Here's the question. Did Jonah repent? Did the runaway actually return? Here's the answer. You can write it down. I don't know. See, we're not sure. We're not sure. And I think this is why. Because there's really only one thing that can actually rescue runaways. And it ain't a can of soda on a curb. And it's not a storm on a sea. It's not the pleas of other people. It's not a three-day retreat in the belly of a fish. There's really only one thing that can transform the heart of a runaway so that he or she willingly, even eagerly comes back. Okay, so what is it? Or better yet, who is it? See, the book of Jonah ends on a cliffhanger because it would be only centuries later that God would provide a true and lasting rescue for every runaway. And that's our last point. The sun and storm. You know, a story early in the life and, and ministry of Jesus was recorded in the Gospel of Mark. I tell you, it has some amazing connections with the story of Jonah. It's in your outline. Let me read it. Think about all the connections. I'll draw it together in a minute. Let me read this. It says, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And said to one another, who then is this? And even the wind and the sea obey him. Friends, did you see the similarities between these two stories? Did you notice that? Let, let me tell you a few. Both Jesus and Jonah were in a boat. Uh, both, Jesus, both boats were overtaken by a great windstorm. Both Jesus and Jonah were asleep in the boat. In both stories, the sailors or the disciples wake them up because they're afraid they're going to die. In both stories, the sea is miraculously calmed. And then finally, in both accounts, those in the boat became even more afraid after the storm was calm. I tell you what, two almost identical stories with one unbelievably significant difference. And let me tell you what it is. Do you remember what Jonah said to the sailors? Again, look, look back at verse 12. 
pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. And then they threw him in. Well, did you notice that didn't happen with Jesus that day? That's the thing that makes these stories off kilter. Why didn't it happen? Great question. See, Mark, the gospel writer, I think he's teasing us a bit here. Because if you know the story of Jonah and you read the story of Jesus, you see the similarities, but then you get to the end where Jonah is tossed overboard and you're supposed to ask, why didn't that happen to Jesus? Why didn't they throw him overboard? Wasn't that supposed to happen? And it didn't happen for this reason. Because Jesus would soon throw himself into an even greater storm to save you and me. Friends, this is a gospel. See, to save us, to really save us, to win us back, God didn't use a fish or a wind. He did it himself. He sent his only beloved son on a rescue mission for rebels and runaways like us. And see, all of God's judgment for runaways and rebels had been building for centuries. And then finally, one day on a hill called Calvary, Jesus Christ, the perfectly obedient Son, threw himself into the storm of God's wrath by hanging on a cross. Do you remember what he said on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isn't that amazing? We we often run away because we feel forsaken or we feel forgotten. But here, the only one who was never forsaken, who never ran, he took all of the punishment on himself so that we could be brought in. Friends, God turned his back on his son to assure us that he would never turn his back on us. I have a great quote for you on the screen there. What says, Jesus leapt into the stormy sea of condemnation to calm God's wrath against us. Friends, Jesus was thrown into the only storm that could actually sink us. And that's the storm of eternal justice, to pay what we owe for our sin and rebellion. And that storm was not calmed, not until it swept Jesus away into a grave. I tell you, I think the similarities between Jonah and Jesus are amazing. Let me tell you a few contrasts. Jonah fled from Nineveh, but Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew what would happen to him there. He would be arrested and tried and tortured and then crucified as a common criminal. Jonah left without a word when he received his assignment from God, but Jesus had an even more costly assignment, paying for our sins. You remember what his response was? Not my will but yours be done. And then he submitted himself to the cross. Jonah went to bed to escape the will of God. Jesus went to the grave to obey the will of God. It's amazing. 
And if you get what Jesus did for you, you'll never say, God, you don't care. My only option is to run. You'll never say that. Because you'll know that if he didn't abandon you in that storm, then he's never going to abandon you in any other storm that you're ever going to go through. Look at this quote. It says this. When we were running full speed the other direction, Jesus chased us down. He subdued our rebellion. He opened our eyes to see our need for him and his all-sufficiency to meet that need. We were not drowning in need of being thrown a life preserver. We were stone dead <clears throat> at the bottom of the ocean. He pulled us up. He breathed new life into us. He set us on our feet. Jesus saves. I love that. In this whole book of Jonah, Jonah got one thing right. And it's in chapter 4, verse 2. Look at what he said. He said, you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah, you got it. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said this. Nice quote. After 10 thousand sins he loves you as infinitely as ever all because of Jesus so friends tonight if if you're running if you're if you're tempted to run may I plead with you go ahead and run but run to him run to God even if you're not running run to God and if you do I guarantee you something you will not find an angry, condemning God with his arms crossed, sticking his finger in your face and says, where you been? You'll never hear that. But you will find a loving and merciful father who gave his only son to bring you back forever. Like it says in the Gospel of John, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's spend a few moments just in silence. Let's just think, pray, just spend time before the Lord. Then he'll pray for us. Our Father, thank you then the great game of hide and seek. We are the ones who are always hiding. And you are the one who is faithfully seeking. Thank you, Father, for your relentless grace certainly showed to Jonah here. But we marvel more at your relentless grace that is displayed in the giving of your only Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue and redeem people like us. Father, help us run to you this weekend. And as we run, Father, we trust that we will find a gracious God who is slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and full of grace and mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.